Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. This morning we're going to talk uh, about the development of Sachsenhausen concentration camp and look at the specific historical context in which Sachsenhausen emerges and when during the Nazi regime um, it develops. Now previously, I'm saying previously, probably about two years ago now, um, I did a podcast on the subject of the development of the Nazi camp system. And the point in there is that in the early years, it's incredibly chaotic. Uh, It's done uh, at uh, a rapid speed uh, during Hitler's consolidation of power. There are uh, grassroots initiatives all the way down to simply SA men keeping people uh, in in basements and in the back rooms of uh, bars and beer kellers. These things are are referred to essentially as, as camps. And it's also done with uh, various different agencies of the state and the Nazi regime competing with one another. And as I've said time and time again in this podcast, that uh, institutional chaos is one of the the hallmarks of of Hitler's regime. Now, Sachsenhausen comes along later on in 1936. Um, The ground begins to be cleared for Sachsenhausen by prisoners from the Orionberg camp during the Berlin Olympics that year. So Sachsenhausen represents a kind of a different phase of uh, the development of the camp system, different from Dachau. Now, for those that are new to the study of Hitler's camps, there is uh, a couple of fundamental distinctions here. Obviously, camps like Dachau and Sachsenhausen are fundamentally different from the Reinhard action camps and other death camps uh, in uh, established in Poland during the war. Uh, they are... they. People die in places like Dachau and um, Sachsenhausen, but they are not specifically designed as factories of death. Far from it. They have a range of purposes. Uh, Initially, they were dumping grounds for political undesirables. They uh, purported to have this reformative, um, restorative and transformative quality about them, whereby uh, good Germans, um, good members of the Volksgemeinschaft um, would be created through hard labour and people with these cosmopolitan and um, Judeo-Bolshevik ideas, as as Hitler alleged, 
um, would be um, have it sort of uh, sweated out of them and that they would understand through physical labour how they could become a useful member of the people's community once again and become part of the uh, society that Hitler was hoping to build where um, work and warfare were going to be these transformative energies that would change the German people. And, and Hitler obviously believed that the German people needed changing because they certainly wouldn't have lost the previous world war uh, had they been uh, up to the task. So that was uh, the initially the, the point of uh, these camps. But from about 1934-35 onwards, there is also an economic function there as well. And the ability to economically exploit the camps um, for their labour value and set workers to um, developing not just the rest of the camp system or the infrastructure of the new Nazi state, but also to supply surplus value to uh, German businesses. That develops from slightly after the initial chaotic period. Now, as I've mentioned before, uh, Nicholas Fauschmann's um, amazing book, KL, um, A History of the Nazi Concentration Camps, is uh, widely considered to be the, the benchmark for um, all other studies on, on, on this subject area. It's um, a phenomenal book, and if you're interested in the Nazi camp system, it contains within it um, the kind of the overall big narrative of the camps from the early days all the way through to the uh, the death camps during the wars. Uh, there was uh, an Applebaum book on Stalin's gulags is kind of the um, uh, the the equivalent study in the Soviet Union. Not saying that there aren't other things written on these two subject areas, but as far as a kind of a, a combined approach goes. Um, every, you know, if, if you just have one book to read, then um, Gulag and KL are probably uh, the the best ones to get. Sachsenhausen uh, stands uh, slightly north of Berlin, on the edge of Oranienburg, um, and the it was built by prisoners. And Himmler saw the necessity for a new camp close to Berlin as being urgent. Not only was Berlin, in the eyes of the Nazis, a hotbed of Marxist subversion, it was frequently referred to throughout the 1920s as Red Berlin, and a a place of um, worker politics and, and activism. But also, the camp that Berlin had um, was concentrated in one small building, uh, the Columbia House, uh, which had been a Gestapo prison and has been taken over by the camp administration, the IKL, uh, in December 1934. This camp was um, too small and actually finding somewhere that was out of the city and out of the, the kind of the gaze of the general public was probably all to the good. In 1936, in the spring of 1936, um, SS planners had found a large area of woodland um, northeast of Oranienburg um, where there was uh, easy access to Berlin and yet ideal sort of geographical circumstances for, for building. Um, it was Theodor Eich and Himmler who looked at the site and thought that a, a, a camp should go ahead there. And it begins to replace uh, earlier camps, now considered redundant or not fit for purpose, and starts to draw prisoners in 
once it's Sachsenhausen is built from those centres. And Sachsenhausen quickly becomes the flagship camp in the network. Obviously, the first one is Dachau. And Dachau was not just a prison camp, but kind of like a training college for SS men. Many of the perpetrators of the Holocaust cut their teeth at Dachau originally and learn uh, every trick in the book uh, when it comes to uh, terrorising prisoners, um, ruling through force uh, and discipline and torture. The sister camp to uh, Sachsenhausen in Thuringia was uh, Buchenwald, which was built uh, roughly the same time. And what we can see here is many of the smaller ad hoc camps that were considered not fit for purpose started to be either shut down or simply handed over to the state to be developed as mainstream prisons. And instead, there were, almost in the eyes of Himmler, fewer but better kind of super camps, uh, these uh, bigger and more purpose-built institutions. Why did they start to do this? Well, is it simply because they thought the other camps were insecure and prisoners were getting away? Well, the number of escapes are so low that that doesn't seem like a, a credible possibility. Is it because the other camps weren't sufficiently uh, sufficiently terrorising and brutalising their inmates? Well, if you look at the accounts of people that had been in these sort of ad hoc camps, um, then that doesn't seem like a, a possibility as well. Uh, one small camp, Estevegen, um, had been um, one of the, the, the very first camps and uh, inmates there had been sent to uh, develop the Emsland um, moors and turn them into farmland, which obviously kind of fails miserably, but the, the work there is gruelling and the uh, punishment is, is extreme. So it doesn't seem like people were getting a soft ride and then were uh, coming for real discipline at places like Buchenwald and Sachsenhausen. What I suspect the answer here is, is the uh, camps were not, in Himmler's eyes, fulfilling their transformative role and that a camp that was designed around with the kind of the architecture of discipline the architecture of um, mass observation and, and constant surveillance um, and with the the um, ability to house sufficient guards to um, police work um, prisoners as they, they worked in and outside the camp. These kinds of things would hopefully uh, result in the kind of the, the, the transformation of prisoners into model Nazi citizens. Obviously we have to remember that this idea of human psychology is, is a complete nonsense and people generally don't become transformed through brutalisation. They might become passive and frightened but you don't change them into different sorts of people by and large. But this, sometimes we have to understand the madness in order to make sense of the events. And so by looking at what it was the Nazis were hoping to achieve with new camps, we can understand why the camps had developed in the first place. Theodor Eich and uh, Heinrich Himmler uh, in, in Thuringia uh, hoped that they would be able to build Buchenwald at exactly the same time as Sachsenhausen. But it has to follow um, the following year. Um, so the site was found in May 1937, 
and um, it was built close to the town of Weimar. It was actually built um, at the site where Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, uh, the famous uh, German poet, had lived and worked, and there was a large oak tree uh, on the site that was associated with him and uh, appeared in, in, in his works, and it was um, protected, and obviously the Nazis were loath to tear it down, and so they, they built around it, um, and the oak tree was in, in the heart of the camp itself. And the tree kind of served as a metaphor, really, for what had happened to Germany, about how um, the Nazi party and the, the state had now worked together to really kind of uh, co-opt and encompass and capture German culture. And for those who are not really au fait with late 18th century, early 19th century um, literary figures, Goethe is has an equivalent standing within German culture to Shakespeare in Britain, also Moliere in France. This passage from K.L. Uh, kind of encapsulates the changes that were happening in the later 1930s. Fushman writes, The landscape of SS terror was changing fast in the second half of the 1930s. Camps that had been hurriedly set up during the Nazi capture of power were replaced by tailor-made structures meant to last. Of the four camps under Ike's um, uh, control in late 1937, only Lichtenberg and Achel had their roots in 1933, and Dachau was already in the midst of a major rebuilding programme. Much of the old munitions factory at Dachau was torn down to make way for a permanent new camp. SS leaders saw newly built KL as the future. Himmler and Eich enthused about such modern camps, as they called them, and over the coming years added another three, Flussenberg in May 1938, Mauthausen in August 1938, and Ravensbrück in May 1939, the first SS concentration camp specially constructed for women, which replaced Lichtenberg. What made the new camps so novel in the eyes of Himmler and Eich was not their internal organisation or the guard's ethos, both of which followed the old Dachau model, rather it was their functional design. The new concentration camps were planned as small cities of terror, holding masses of prisoners. At a time when the SS system held less than 5,000 prisoners, Sachsenhausen and Buchenwald were projected for 6,000 men each. So what we can see here is that there was a predicted and a planned dramatic escalation in prison populations towards the end of the 1930s. Why was there's such a great interest in the mind of Himmler for such a dramatic expansion in camp sizes. Well, no doubt the war um, that was being planned at this stage uh, by Hitler um, had something to do with it. What war, what shape that war would take um, was, at this stage, perhaps unclear. But certainly there might be uh, the need to accommodate prisoners from... Uh, newly acquired territories in Austria, in uh, the Czech uh, provinces of Czechoslovakia that were to be assimilated into the Reich, 
um, and perhaps even in in Poland, though it turns out in the long run the Poles are terrorised on their own uh, their own territory. The plan that Himmler had was that there would be no upper limit on prisoner numbers and that there was a, uh, a system of rapid expansion uh, whereby if there was the need for more camps that those could be very quickly created. And that, this meant that there was to be really a, a, a boundless terror, um, a terror that knew no, uh, knew no boundaries. Now, the terror of the first half of the 1930s um, there is a kind of a, a complicated affair. It, between 1933 and 34, much of it is a kind of a grassroots SA-led terror um, that is quite indiscriminate and makes the regime quite unpopular. During the second half of the 1930s, the actual numbers of Gestapo men there to police the population and the SS as well is far smaller than um, had been previously popularly thought and often the uh, job of tracking down dissenting individuals and dissenting voices isn't done by the Gestapo, it's done by ordinary Germans themselves through denunciation. Um, there is uh, a quote by Roger Morehouse in Berlin at war, where he says essentially there was less work to do um, by Gestapo men in terms of actually investigating and more through just sifting the mountains of denunciations they get. These cities of terror, places like Sachsenhausen and Buchenwald, which were uh, built over 80 and 100 hectares of land uh, apiece, became uh, huge sites of infrastructure in themselves. There were different um, parts of the camp connected by um, roads. There was a, a whole slew of um, support institutions around them, from uh, water pumping stations to uh, residential blocks for guards, administrative offices, workshops, uh, garages, storehouses... Uh, everything that uh, a modern commercial enterprise um, would need. And these are commercial enterprises. They are they run on slavery, and they uh, attempted at least to turn a profit. Things had also changed since the early days of the camps in terms of transparency and secrecy. Um, the initial easy access that German people had to Dachau um, where it was possible to walk past the camp. It was, it was visible from tram routes and from uh, it was possible to cycle past it. And whilst there were punishments for trying to peer over the walls or look inside, it was useful, the regime initially thought, to have the public know that the camps were there not only as a threat to ordinary Germans who might choose to defy the regime, but also in an attempt to try to reassure um, German citizens that things were being done to deal with the troublemakers. And that often uh, there were conversations being had around the camps uh, by citizens of the New Reich saying, well, if they're in there, if the communists are in there, it's because they were going to do something bad, and I'm sure Hitler wouldn't 
um, throw people in jail for no good reason. People often come up with all sorts of rationalisations and justifications when governments act in arbitrary and authoritarian ways. However, uh, Sachsenhausen and uh, Buchenwald, uh, neither of those uh, employ the same kinds of practices, and secrecy becomes much more important at this phase. Um, in ni- by 1939, the guards at Dachau, um, li- most of them lived with the nearby Dachau population in the, the, in the local town. Um, a fifth of them, they made up a fifth of the local town population. The new camps were, however, much more carefully concealed, and they were put deliberately in far more remote locations, and this was to attract the minimum amount of attention and to um, facilitate the least amount of contact with the public at large. It was often hoped by local townspeople um, or people who were the nearest to a new camp that there would be some kind of economic benefit for them, that it would generate economic activity and that they would either be able to sell goods and services to the uh, camp or there would be some kind of employment there. Um, The new camps made that quite uh, quite an unlikely proposition. Um, they were more autonomous, so they were more contained uh, communities within themselves and could uh, provide most of what they needed for themselves, not needing to buy services or goods from uh, local towns. And the fact that was obviously remained the camps also had an inexhaustible supply of free labour, much of it skilled. Um, camps had become more self-sufficient um, with all sorts of prisoner-led or prisoner-supplied um, uh, labour in terms of uh, joinery, uh, shoemaking, tailoring, blacksmithing uh, and the rest. And this meant that the camps had... Um, less of a relationship with the surrounding area and it also meant that the camps had less of a relationship with Germans who lived beyond the local area. In fact, the the camps start to not necessarily vanish from uh, German national discourse and, and thinking um, throughout the, 19, the later 1930s but they certainly become less prominent and less visible. The regime at this point uh, was fully established. It didn't need to have uh, citizens walking past the gates of camps thinking, there but for the grace of God go I, or whoever's in there needs to be in there and I'm being well looked after by the Fuhrer. The system of rulership in Germany was, by the Nazi regime, was firmly established and so that was that was largely unnecessary. And now the work of the camps uh, was possible, was able to continue in secrecy, uh, and this was obviously all to the good as far as the regime was concerned. Hitler and Himmler uh, rarely ever referred to the camps, and there is one example, actually, when Himmler does, uh, on the 29th of January 1939, 
during a radio address for the day of the German police, which is a national holiday, um, Himmler said that the camps were strict but fair. And he said their function was to, um, was to reform. He said, and I quote from Rashman, the slogan that stands above these camps is, there is a path to freedom. Its milestones are obedience, diligence, honesty, orderliness, cleanliness, sobriety, truthfulness, readiness to make sacrifices, and love of the fatherland. And this, really, that Himmler believed that the camps were kind of schools for teaching this sort of thing, and that they were places where a new kind of Germany would be, uh, a new kind of Germany would be forged, uh, factories for new kinds of German people. This explains why there was often um, relatively short sentences, uh, about 18 months to two years for prisoners and who were released back into society. Uh, none of them educated in anything other than terror. Uh, personally, emotionally and spiritually broken individuals um, who gave the outward appearance of conformity but who were simply traumatised into uh, dropping all pretense of resistance. Anyway, I'm going to finish there um, and we'll be returning to this topic in the near future. Um, there'll be another couple of podcasts coming out uh, later this week on an eclectic range of topics. So uh, if you found this useful, do pop over to our Facebook page, say hi. It's always great to hear from you guys. And give us a good thumbs up if you can on iTunes. Thanks very much and I'll catch you all soon. All the best. Bye bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.